You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. And this week, we're getting back to a slightly delayed, our apologies for that, uh, preview of Mirza Karlov Manor or MKM, not Magic Card Market, the Magic Set. So we've got our usual Goldilocks style plan, and don't worry, we'll tackle the Surveil Lands at the end. With that, let's take it away. So uh, for me, when I was looking through the set and I was listening to people discuss what was coming up, I looked at this from a purely commander standpoint because we didn't really know where standard was going and this being the 12th set in standard it seemed highly unlikely that this was going to be terribly impactful so i came at this through the lens of commander and the one card that stood out as being overhyped is onsrog the quake mole purely from a commander standpoint and when you take a look at this overall uh onsrog is the number three commander right now on uh, Rack behind Judith and Voja, respectively. It is currently in, you know, about 1,400 decks rounded up. And it looks like a really good card, but I don't think the story that's being told about it is uh, really correct. A lot of people look at this as being a perfectly good card for the 99 in Commander, that is just something you would want in the deck overall, and I think that's where people have gone a little bit sideways. So for Onsrock, this is two, a red, and a green for an 8-4 that says, whenever it becomes blocked, untap each creature you control. After this combat phase, there is an additional combat phase. So basically, basically if you can force the block of Onsrog, you can continue to move through combat. And it also has an activated ability of three, double red, double green. Onsrog must be blocked each combat this turn if able. So you can use the activated ability, or you could use a card like Lure, or uh, not Brash Taunter, but like Taunting Elf. There are a number of ways to make sure that Onsrog can be blocked each combat, and thus you continue to accrue combat steps. Now, obviously, this wants to make blocking difficult for your opponents, which is great. Everyone knows that math is for blockers, so 10 out of 10, no notes on this card, really. Where I think people do go sideways is looking at this as a card in the 99 instead of as a commander. And this basically goes in, like, the heavy punch-style gruel decks, helmed by Xenagos, God of Revel, Rurikthar, the Embowed, etc. And in those decks, Andrag is a fantastic tool in the kit, but, the, but as a general... Uh, rather than somewhere in a robust tutor suite. So instead of having to enter combat across multiple turns, you can helm those decks instead with Onsrog. So instead of using Xenagos and having to enter combat four to three times or three turns in a row to clear somebody out, you can use Onsrog as your commander, then Xenagos in the 99, tutor up Xenagos, drop it on board, and run people over all in one turn because of Onsrog. Right? So this basically helps slim those decks up and helps them win a little bit faster overall and kind of creates more of a combo finish for the entire table rather than heavy punching one person out at a time. This effectively can change the face of these kinds of decks by putting multiple combat steps, quote-unquote, in the command zone rather than fishing up Xenagos and Blightsteel with like a, uh, a tooth and nail, 
if you're yeah. held by like Rorik Thar or vice versa. So for me, that's overhyped. I think you're in the same camp as well with Ansrog. I am. So Ansrog was the one, and this is, again, we pick our three cards without knowing what the other is picking and kind of come into it blind. Uh, I think this is overhyped because I agree it is better suited as a commander, but even as a commander, I don't think it's the best extra combats commander. I still think that's Aurelia. Okay. Um, she combos with herself effectively, and Ansrog outside, like, he doesn't do anything without some extra assistance. You have to activate the ability. You have to put lure on him. You have to go through extra steps. Exactly. This is this is Aurelia at home. Yep. And Aurelia just gives you the extra combat step. Just boom, boom. Yep. And you get in. The other thing that I think is a problem with this card is I'm paying four mana for an 8-4, which is well above rate, except there's no evasion whatsoever. Which, I get it. You want it to be blocked, so you don't want the evasion, but it's also a four butt, which is really easy to get rid of when you're swinging on the ground in the air different story you've got to have a commander design for it yeah 100%. but avenger zendikar drops on the ground and drops a million tokens crater hoof the there's just plenty of ways to deal with this card that i think you know people are missing to me what there's two big financial drivers that should be effective on this card and one is it as a general and two is the fact that it's a mole which sounds ludicrous but that's pretty memey yeah. And as far as I know, this is like the third or fourth mole we've ever gotten. So mole combat tribal is a long ways off from happening. Yeah. And I think without that kind of support, this card just isn't worth $12 as a mythic and a set with collector boosters that has a showcase treatment. You know, and I, the insertion rate for that is going to be higher in play boosters. It's going to be higher in the collector boosters than some of the lower rarities. And I just don't see this holding, I think at pre-sales it was like $30 or something. Yeah, it spiked almost to 40 very quickly. I, that's ridiculous. And I still think 10 is too much for this card. I just don't think it's going to have an impact. No. Even with the invisibles, where something like this may actually work and kind of drive the market. I just, I don't think it suits this price point at I, all. I, don't, I just don't see that happening. I don't think so either. Like I said, I wanted to call it very specifically the heavy punch style of Gruel deck where you do have Xenagos yeah. or Rokthar unbowed and the idea is that you go two direct Bladesteel Colossus and just chunk somebody out of the game in that one turn. Yeah. And then the next turn you untap, untap and chunk somebody out again. To your point, this has eight toughness to really get this card working and you it, without having to pay six mana uh, it, like that turn on top of however much it costs to cast Onsrog and attack with it that turn, you need to set up like Dark Steel Plate or Mithril Coat. You need yeah. to set up Allure, like you mentioned. You need all these other pieces to get this to work. And at the end of the day, we're seeing this in like almost 3,000 decks total on Wreck when you sum up as Commander and in the 99. And once people, I believe, realize correctly that this belongs in the Command Zone because it gives you in Gruul a very useful effect... That it does. The, the the price on this tanks, the utility and adoption on this card tanks overall, and so it just kind of flattens out. I don't yeah. see for me, I don't think of this card as you mentioned like Aurelia at home, and I think that's a really apt comparison because I didn't even think about this. I didn't even think about this as multiple combats dot deck. I thought about this as punch everybody out in one combat dot deck, kind of yeah. like Goto. Like, yeah. to me, that, that's how this card wants to work. And I think of Aurelia and Godo as two different kind of abilities, despite the fact that you're right. T they are factually the same thing, just multiple combats. And that's, yeah. I just, for me, when I was looking at this, I just saw it a little bit differently. And when you do that comparison work, like, yeah, this is definitely like one of the, like, 
worst options overall unless you literally are playing already this style of deck and then yeah, yeah. just jamming in there and this is perfectly fine because i keep mentioning tooth and nail that's a huge part of these decks worldly tutors yeah. a huge part of these decks if you have multiple combat steps you don't need xenagos and blightsteel colossus you just need blightsteel colossus and it just gets the job done but there's just yep. so much lead work that needs to be done to make this card useful in the format on the whole that i think it's ridiculous that it was as hyped as it was and to your point as expensive as it is yeah okay so Onzrock, that is my overhyped as your overhyped as well for me my underhyped is forensic gadgeteer uh this one's a little uh interesting it is two and a blue for a two three vidalcan artificer detective and most of those creature types don't matter <laughs> It has a triggered ability. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, you investigate, so you create a clue. And then it has a yeah. passive. Activated abilities of artifacts you control cost one colorless less to activate. This effect can't reduce the mana in that cost to less than one mana, which is, you know, what we see all the time on these abilities. Currently, it's in about 3,000 decks on, uh, according to Rec. It is the 15th most popular card in the entire set, and that is behind the lands. And I think that is just in, in, incredibly out of proportion here. Forensic Gadgeteer, this card helps power artifact synergies as well as adding a redundant element to artifact combo pieces with the passive. We're talking about cards like Zerda and uh, Training Grounds and I can't think of the, um, not, is it Kinnan Bonder Prodigy or? Uh, that's the... There's, a, there's another Simic one. I just can't think of off the top of my head. That's played. Chain. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, there's one that's played in Vintage Cube. It's another Simic one. I can never remember the name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. It, almost the, the exact same things. Like these help artifact combo deck with the passive overall. For the immediate implications of just being a combo piece, the buzz around this card seems awfully low or was awfully low, still is awfully low. So it has the opportunity to be in an overwhelmingly large number of strategies across the commander format. And that's before we even really actually talk about that cast trigger. That is the first set of, bit of text on the card. It's so good. It is. It effectively gives you a two for one on every artifact you cast by quantity one of which is a clue, which is incredibly useful. And I don't see how something like this that is that can be so ubiquitous between artifact combo and just going wide artifacts is or was treated <clears throat> so poorly in terms of hype. This is already in vintage <clears throat> cube lists available on Moto. If it's not in the official vintage cube, then it's in the Alpha Frog cube, which is drafted still oftentimes offline and played on Moto. This is a card that is building a pedigree right now. Why it was the 15th most popular card behind a bunch of lands, I don't know. Like, sure, the lands can go on a ton of decks, but this one just immediately combos out. Like, cool, why aren't we looking at this overall? Why is this behind, you know, some of the weird, goofy commanders when you look at the overall number of cards in the set? I, I just... It is hard to believe that that is the case. When it comes to price at $2, I think it'll hold, like it spiked to over seven, which I think is ridiculous. Or uh, sorry, that's a that's your that's another card coming. It spiked to over seven. I think it spiked to like three or four. I think that is most likely the hold in the long run. I don't think it'll make it up to five. Uh, but if it does, I wouldn't be surprised because at this point in time, we have so many versions of the, the passive, if you want to call it that, the... Uh, the mana value reduction across blue and Simic that we're going to hit a critical mass and it's going to be nigh impossible to not utilize these in your deck and combo out the end. That's just the way like 
blue and Simic decks are going to shape themselves when they want to play Artifacts and Commander, and this is an incredibly good piece to have in that deck. I think a lot of people are missing the point with this card, because I've seen a lot of people that are like, well, this is just way worse. Like, why wouldn't I run Ethereum Sculptor? Because it doesn't do the same thing. They're not nearly the same card. And to me, that's one of the big differences with this and why people have been kind of missing the hype around yeah. it, is it's it's not the same thing as what a lot of people are, are making it analogous to. It's not Herald of Kozilek. Like, it's not here for a combo engine in the sense of I'm future sighting with Sensei's Divining Top. And I think that's one of the big things that people are missing. Is like you said, it powers the power artifact synergies. It powers card draw and card filtering. It's just a good value card with a combo finish. Yeah. Like it, it's people just seem to be missing that. Yeah. So I I completely agree. Uh, my oh sorry, were you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. My too low is actually a, kind of in keeping with tradition for me, uh, an uncommon from this set, and that is Insidious roots specifically i'm talking the showcase version here uh and this card is cadaverous bloom mana black and green for something that is not quite as good as cadaverous bloom but that's fine because that card won a pro tour uh and we basically don't have them now it reads creature tokens you control have tap add one mana of any color stop on its own it's already cryptolith right yep. kind of it's cryptolith right at home that's still a very good card it turns out uh even at uncommon in a set with collector boosters where you'll be able to get this alt art. But then the second half is what really, to me, drills it home. And that is whenever one or more creature cards leave your graveyard, create a plant token and put a plus one, plus one counter on each plant you control. I think this card is undervalued. I think this card is underadopted because this literally already has about 30 decks that it should automatically be in the 99 of. And it's anything running Avenger of Zendikar and Scavenging Use. It doesn't matter if you're running them together. This card synergizes so well with everything, everything. that these colors do that it should be an automatic, like, not quite Soul Ring level inclusion, but certainly Deathrite level inclusion into these decks. Now, it doesn't synergize particularly well with reanimator shenanigans because you obviously don't want the cards to leave your graveyard but if you're a deck that is going to eat cards from a graveyard for a scavenging ooze or a death right or something like that this is great if you're a delve deck this is great if you're playing exiling soil, this is great I, yes there are so many good cards so many cards that this synergizes with incredibly well that to me sitting at a low of i think it's like a dollar 88 is wild to me Additionally, to harken back to my pick last week, something very interesting is going on with the foils of this card. And this may be something that we see because of the delayed recording, but the foil version of this showcase is far outpacing the value of the non-foil. Okay. Uh, the non-foil can be had for about $2 right now. $6 is the cheapest foil, foil version, and it's starting to plateau off after coming back down. So with that being the case, this is something that I think may be worth picking up, you know, a couple copies here and there, just seeing what you can get in, because I think this is easily a $15 foil, and I think the non-foil gets to 7 or $8. I think this card is incredible, and this is a long-term burn. But this, this card is just, I read it, and I was like, this is an uncommon? This is something that, and granted, Power Creep is real, two years ago would have been a mythic. And, I mean, it's, it's Cryptolith with upside. Yep. 
and Cryptolith was effectively, you know, mythic power level at the time. So it, it was just wild to me to see this. And I think that the adoption for this has been incredibly slow. And I think that this is a card that may not only see play in EDH, but could also see play in Legacy and potentially Vintage. We'd have to get way more creature heavy there. But it's definitely something that I can see in some of the like more grindy mid-range loam style lists. And I, I think it's great. I think it has an absurd amount of upside and it finishes games very quickly on the back of an Avenger of Zendikar. Yeah, this isn't the worst thing to cast. And right now people are doing a big F around to find out with Dredge and Legacy and actually adding lands to the, to the list. But I'll tell you what, every turn an Icarid comes back, every time you recast a Hogak, man, this triggers Insidious Roots. Um, this yep. is actually on my list in the exact same spot as Underhyped. And I just had one sentence before I moved on. Um, as I was taking my notes when I decided to move to Gadgeteer, and it is this. A lot of cards make plants, and this plays really well with various keywords like Delph. Yeah. Avenger of Zendikar I, it, makes a ton of plants, ton of zero-one plants in particular. And I love putting counters on them. Great. Yeah. So, like, th- this is this is another example of, like, reading the card kind of explains the card. You, you can And then you can just go off the deep end, man. Like, on the surface, you got a lot to do with this, and the, the more you look at it, the more that comes of it, and... That's always generally pretty appealing when a card has depth of play. Yeah. Um, for me, for my just right, um, I decided on uh, Arc Druid's Charm, and I was waffling between this and Pride of Hulk Clade. But the okay. the longer I took to actually investigate this, the more Pride of Hulk Clade fell off, and I thought that's kind of incorrect. But I didn't really want to talk about that one too much. Arc Druid's Charm, I think, is an incredibly useful and modal card like it's supposed to be. Uh, it is from, well, I guess what will be a five-color cycle of Arc Mage, Arc Druid, etc. charm. It costs three green pips, like the blue one costs three blue, and it has three modes, though technically four. So the first mode is when you search, you search your library for a creature or land card and reveal it. Put it onto the battlefield tap if it's a land card. Otherwise, put it into your hand, then shuffle. The second mode is, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. So that's a bite, not a fight. And then the third mode is, exile target artifact or enchantment. So the reason this is like three, three and a half modes is because the first one gets a land or a creature. Now, this is an instant. So this is effectively like the best version of Reap and Sow that we have ever had. Reap and Sow costs yeah. three and a green. Now, Sylvan Scrying costs a colorless and a green and puts it into your hand. So now we've kind of hit that sweet spot of finding of, sorry, what the mana cost is. Not just value, cost, because it's triple green, remember. It costs triple green at instant speed to find a non-basic land and put it into play, although tapped, which is fine. It's basically just an advanced fetch land. Yeah. Now, as far as this goes within the set for Commander, this is currently the second most popular card in the set. And I think that is just right for this card. The flexibility and power inherent in this card makes it a slam dunk <clears throat> for what is a, basically one of the most popular and well-hyped cards in the set. The moment this card was spoiled, it just started to burn bright in terms of interest and what people were talking about. And it only really dropped off heading into RC Denver where Modern took over and a number of cards from MKM popped up and just stormed the event. Yeah. Every mode on this card is useful, and there's not a single part in a single game where this card is bad. 
You have a bunch of lands on the battlefield. Cool. Go get a creature. There's no limit on the amount of mana that it requires. Fierce Empath, six or more. A little bit limiting, but it's on a creature. Cool. You know, Summoner's, uh, not Summoner's Pact, uh, Summoning Trap. Yeah. Top eight cards. Little limiting. See the unwritten. I think that also goes to uh, either six or eight. Little limiting. Then you got to look into things like Tooth and Nail, which can find it and put it into play. So that's either seven or nine mana. And you realize pretty quickly that Archmage Charm is costed very aggressively for what it does. Yeah. The Exile on uh, Artifact or Enchantment, pretty useful in Commander. Maybe not necessarily the most at your table, but cool. Attack on mode. You don't maybe you don't want to run that naturalize, or maybe you just want an additional naturalize on top of that. Cool, Archmage Charm gotcha, and then and then some. The only difficulty to play this card, the only hurdle, is the fact that it's got three green pips. So if you wanted to go fish early in the game, you got to be base green. You got to be really heavy green to do that. But that doesn't really seem like a problem for this overall. Like yeah. green pips are not not hard to come by, and at this point in time, we're flush with dual lands when it comes to the commander format. So I think this card is just going to ride high for a really long time. Yeah, I think the, I think this card is great, and it's one that at first I saw a lot of people grasp onto, and I was like, ah, well, maybe maybe it is that good, but I don't really think so. And the more I read it, the more I realized, no, this card's just insane. Yeah. Like, it's, it almost guarantees, like, a two-for-one in combat as a combat trick. You can double block. You can eliminate, like, it's just yeah, yeah, it's a, a very good utility. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a really good utility card, um, and I think that the as as strange as it is, the most valuable mode on it may be discard or exile and artifact or enchantment. Uh, stapling that on there is just a huge win overall because oh, yeah. sometimes you know it's just as easy as removing their daybreak coronet and I live for another turn. Like that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, in yeah. Modern. The, I think that's where this is really going to showcase. Yeah, the reason why I downplayed that in the explanation is because not every table has somebody that is so reliant on their artifacts and enchantments yeah. that get to worry about recursion. But when you do, True. that exile is very important, like you're saying, hundred percent. Yeah. Otherwise, you have nature's claim and stuff like that. That's a, a little easier. Unravel the aether, etc. That this is just murket, just gone. Get yep. out of here. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, my just right is actually kind of surprising for me. I would not have expected to pick a rare that also appears in collector boosters with a showcase treatment for this, but here we are. Mm -hmm. And it is Leyline of the Guild Pact. Uh, so before I get into why I think this card is great, I have one reason why this card confuses me but kind of makes sense. Why are there four green pips on the casting cost? Doesn't matter. You can still cast it for four mana yeah. of any sort of colors. Um, now, this has the typical ley line of if it's in your hand. And you're opening seven. ETBs. Yeah. Each non-land permanent you control is all colors. Lanes you control are every basic land type in addition to their types. So this is relevant for a few reasons. Uh, obviously, everything being five colors means that if it ever happens, which it probably won't now, coalition victory is an instant win. Uh, this means that the most important line of text, though, is the bottom. Lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. Now, the reason this is relevant is because it's not that they become painless cities of brass. It's that they retain their types. Mm -hmm. So if you have something like... Uh, Valkyrie? I don't know. Yes. Anything that cares about land types, this is relevant. It also means you're not pinging yourself for it. It also means price of progress, they're still basics. Now, this is an auto-include in every five-color deck. It just is. 
I think this makes every five color deck immediately more accessible for people because your mana base gets significantly less expensive. You don't need ten duels. Yeah. Okay, all of my lands are painless cities. Yeah, you got so I can just run a bunch of basics and I'm good to go. Yeah, so it's another tool in the kit. You got Dryad of Elysian Grove, you have Omen, not or what Prismatic Omen. Yeah, Prismatic Omen. of the Guild yeah. Pack and Chromatic Lantern at least right now. So yes, five card yeah. decks are becoming much more approachable to be able to play a less expensive mana base and still be able to cast your spells. And yes. uh, the World Tree. Yeah, and the World Tree, that's the other one. And I think that that's something that's incredibly good for the health of EDH. I don't think this card ever sees playing a 60-card format. But I think this is something that you'll start to see that this card is so good and it is so accessible is the other thing because it's in a current-run set that, okay, I guess I'm going to start building a five-color Ley Lines deck because we have 15 Ley Lines plus this one now. Or I'm going to build a five-color Elemental deck because we have so many Elementals. This just automatically slides into every one of those and makes it incredibly accessible for a casual player to now all of a sudden, okay, here's another tool. I now have... 5% of my deck is cards that specifically enable this. Not to mention, enchantment is actually a pretty easy to tutor for card type now. Almost up there with creatures, where we have a million ways that we can get this into our hand if it's past the opener, and I just have some green mana that I need to spend. Mm -hmm. I think that $15 for something that should become this ubiquitous is more than fair. I also think when we had it spike up to, I think Stock said it was like 30 almost? Yeah, or because 20, of the RC, yeah. 25, yeah, because of the RC. Um, we're starting to plateau and level off again. Yeah. So we're sitting at about what I think is an appropriate price point for this card at around $15 because it should be something that becomes ubiquitous in adoption. If you have a group of four EDH players, odds are at least one of them has more than one five-color deck. And this slides right right into that. And I think that's what it really gets into is that every playgroup has one or two people that had their five-color decks, and this immediately goes into it now. And I think that long-term, 15 is perfect for it. Yep, I agree. Um, My concern for this card wasn't necessarily Commander because I read this and I was like, okay, cool, another tool in the kit like, like you pontificated about. My concern was... Like you brought up at the beginning, why does this have four green pips? I don't know, but that's a lot of pips for Pioneer, and we are coming up on that season. So $15 right now could be 25 or 30 if this slides into the, the mono green list, or we get a change in that. There's a lot that can be done between this card and Nykthos, Shrine, and Nyx, right? So yeah. overall, if this doesn't muck up that format, then yeah, $15 seems uh, fine. If not, maybe a little aggressive in price. I think somewhere between 10 yeah. and 15 is, is great yeah. overall. Um, if it maintains its kind of foothold in modern and allows uh, 5C Rhinos or Scion of Draco to just kind of exist and be a deck, then yeah, this will probably hold p- closer to 15. Uh, there there are yeah. people that are mucking around with this in Vintage and Legacy, which is really fun because this ups the stock of the Blasts. You can play 8 Rebs if you want. You can play 8 Bebs if you want. The Perfectly fine when you know the format's going to be chugging full of ley lines, but because it's legacy and vintage, those formats are going to kind of police themselves because you have eight blasts available to you. So if I expect us to see this continue on in Constructed, it'll be modern where it's just kind of juicing the Rhinos deck a little bit. Pioneer, if this mucks with mono green, then I'm pretty sure we'll see another BAM shortly thereafter. And it would yeah. drop the utility of this card in that format overall. I like the card on its surface. It does a lot. It really does help the commander players who want to stretch into five colors. It makes it a lot more accessible. Like you're saying, it allows you to build a much more efficient mana base 
when you look yeah. at this. You can just do so much more with so much less because of cards like this. And I think overall, it's just a really nice card to have. And it seemed, when you cut out Constructed, appropriately hyped for Commander. Like right now, I don't even think it's in like, it's outside... Yeah, it's like somewhere in the top 20, 15, 16. Yeah. So that would be 20. Yeah, it's in like the top 25 cards in the set on rec right now. Awesome. I think that is a perfectly fine place for a card like this. This is the kind of card that I would expect to be below the lands from the set. Yeah. Because the lands help power cards like this. They help you find this card. They are more useful than something like this overall. And I, I think it's it's in a great spot, and I think if it rides it out here or creeps up a little bit, that's great. I don't think it'll jump up. I think, like you said, this is the Goldilocks zone for this card. I think we're we're on point. Yeah. Right. Uh, speaking of that, lands. the Surveil lands. Yes. Thoughts? Um, they are more useful than the Temples because they have basic land types, so they can be fetched up overall, which I really like. I thought that was the downfall of the Temples, and that was what was going to keep them out of uh, Eternal formats. Uh, yeah. Well, when I say Eternal, I mean, like, Modern. Basically, he's going to keep them out of Modern. I like the idea of their Surveil lands. I don't think Surveil is inherently more powerful than Scry, so whether you Scry one or you, sur you Surveil one is up in the air. I think it is truly the land types attached to them that make them the most powerful options. I think yeah. they are all overpriced right now and should probably sit between two and four dollars instead of the six plus that we're seeing. Like right now, one, two, three, four, five. After the after the top five cards in murders, then that's creature, creature, ley line, creature, creature. It's literally three lands is the next most expensive cards in the set. Yeah. At ten dollars and nine dollars. We got one ten dollar one nine the rest are sitting in the four in the three and four dollar range and i think perfect bangerang that's where they should be right now the more the set gets open the more downward pressure we see just like the temples buy in at the low move at the high because what will we see them in the future mm, it'll probably be a while so there'll be money to be made there just like the original run of temples do yeah. i like them in constructed formats because they are fetchable yes but like as a one of I think that is appropriate for Commander. I think they're great. I run them alongside Temples because effectively they do the same thing and I don't juice my Commander decks with fetch lands, so I don't care about the basic land types. Okay. I play low-level, low-power Commander, you know, the, the way uh, the good Lord Sheldon meant it to be. And I think they're going to do good things for the game overall because the more utility we can get on our lands, the more ability like this um not necessarily draw additional cards or pump creatures whatever the more we get utility from our lands that allow us to continue to play the game the better it is be trying to do that from spells is difficult because if you don't have the lands to cast your spells you can't really function that way so lending a little bit of power and utility to lands overall i think is is really you know really good and i picked up my set of blue ones from my lgs so i think that's like is it four of them i think yeah. yeah, and those are the only ones that I, I made uh, a call to get because at some point in time, I might start playing Modern again. Cool, I got them. And in Legacy, there is this trend of when you play a two-color deck, like, for instance, Doomsday, if you play the Demir version, or right now I'm playing Demir Scam. In years past, it was Is It Delver. Sometimes you do need the fifth dual land 
And yeah. right now, up until the, the Surveillance, the fifth was the Shock. Now you have the ability to go get a surveil land, and that powers some pretty interesting things in those decks. You can also build your own Entomb with the green-black one, yeah. where you can worldly tutor in response to the surveil trigger, or really any of those decks because you got to have the green ahead of time. This line ETBs tapped, but you have Entomb at home, and you get to surveil the creature into the graveyard with worldly tutor. So it does put some pressures on interesting cards like that when it comes to older formats. And at the end of the day... I think this is perfectly fine. I think the price tag is ridiculous, but that's it. Yeah, I think the price tag now is, like, realistically for some of these, I mean, like, the blue ones are always going to be high. Yeah. Uh, I think your Golgari one is a little high right now, like $8. Yes. But I think what I think you were accurate in saying that these probably settle before too long in the 2 to 4 range. And that's where I'm going to buy as many as I possibly can, because I think that these are realistically five to ten dollar cards in a year, and you can sell infinite of them at five to ten dollars. Yep. You can trade out infinite of them at five to ten dollars. But the base versions of like the black red, the red white, the green white, the white black, like sitting at two to three dollars is insane to me for something like this because of how powerful surveil as a mechanic mm -hmm. is. So I think right now. They're overhyped for where they should be right now. Yeah, I think that's. But fair. I think, yeah, I think once time passes, assuming we don't get a mass reprint of these, which, who knows, um, with two universes beyond style sets, maybe they'll try to find a way to put this into something. Yeah. Um, but without that, I think, yeah, the two to four to five dollar range is where I want to get in on these, and I want to hoard them. I, I think long term they're very good. Yeah, that's. Uh, but not at eight dollars a piece. That's what I did with temples. I, I at, yep. the ones I opened were the ones I had, and then as they slow, slowly started floating down to like two and three dollars for the most expensive ones because of blue white control, etc. I started yeah. scooping them up, and then I was a firm believer awesome. that as they were rotating out, quarters on them all day long, perfectly fine. And then yeah, yeah. it didn't even take additional formats. It just took an amount of time for those temples to go up because mm -hmm. the utility on scry and commander yeah. was insane. And you could start moving them for two, three, four, five dollars in time. There was a point where I think I did make a call on the green white temple for Pioneer when that deck yeah. was a thing. And like, yeah, sure, egg on my face for that, but that's because that format changed over time. You know? Yeah. Then we got infinity we got like three reprints in a row or two reprints in a row in core sets. Yeah. And, and that was rough. Yeah, and now they're worth the quarters that I was picking them up at. So no no, you know, no harm, no foul on that one. So if your plan yeah. is to just ride them out and play them then that's a perfectly fine move is to just wait until these are opened into infinity and beyond. Yeah. And we'll be fine. All right, picks. And I want you to go first this week because you're sticking on with one of your cards, and I, I want to get in the Wayback Machine for mine. All right, so I'm sticking with Insidious Roots, actually, the showcase foil. Uh, I think $6 for this is insane. Like I said, it should be 10 to 15 for an effect like this, for something that should be as adopted as an effect like this. Token is just a really common strategy in green-black. Graveyard Shenanigans is also a really common strategy in green-black, yep. or green-black X in both cases. And I think it easily slides into those decks. I think this is the kind of thing that if, excuse me, any one content creator makes some Graveyard Shenanigan deck with this card, the hype machine rolls on, and everyone wants this card all of a sudden, and we start to see it get to that range that I said, which was in the 5 to 10 range, 10 to 15 for non-foil and foil. The other really interesting thing about this is that if you take a look on TCG Player of the Showcase Foil vendors, uh, 
There's eight total. Eight total. Everyone else has fewer than four copies of this card right now, and it's sitting at 76 listings, I believe, mm. uh, which for a commander or for a collector booster set is not very much, especially for an uncommon. Uh, part of that could be the seating changes, everything we see there, but I think that timeline-wise, you're looking at probably a year on this one, but I think at you know $2 for non-foil, $5 for foil... I'd park like 10 of them in a box, forget about them, and check back later and see. While also keeping an eye on content creators. Uh, me personally, I have about 20 of these foils because I am going maximum greed mode on it. Um, at least en route from the post office now. And I think healthily, though, you're probably looking in the 5 to 10 range because, like I said, this is a 100-card format card. This is EDH. Yeah. This is Canlander. This might see some play in like a dredge or something like that as a one or two of at most, but I don't see it breaking out in a huge way other than in very like niche decks. I'm sure Nick fit would love this somehow because it's eight cards and 52 flex slots. Um, but I think this card is great long-term. I think it's the kind of thing that while set agnostic, because this could be reprinted realistically insidious roots is not something that are specific to Karloff manner. No, no. Um, but I don't think we see it for a while because they have been somewhat reticent to print thematic uncommons in the sets that we've seen like this, where it's built from the theme of, Oh, this is a a murder mystery dinner kind of thing. Yeah. Those they've kind of kept in those sets and not reprinted until they visit another theme where it's relevant. And I don't think unless God forbid universes beyond contains it. We're ever getting poison Ivy's winter wonderland in a magic set. Um, so I, I don't think there's a big risk of this card being reprinted, but it is something to keep an eye on as time goes on. Yeah. But I think six to 12 months on your timeline, you should just naturally see it rise, especially now that we've plateaued in this period before release. Uh, I believe next week is when it hits officially, uh, which doesn't really mean anything anymore because of how set releases work. But that's my expectation on this card. I just think it's a really, really good, effective card. And it's one of those, you know, random... Every now and then I'll pick out a strong, uncommon, or common that I think should see more light, and this is the one. Yep. Uh, I think there's opportunity for this card to see a surge with the release of Duskamarn, which is three sets from now, which is Q4 2024. Yeah. Uh, that is the, like, horror... Set it's supposed to take entire and take place entirely inside a haunted house. And while that doesn't quite make sense, like oh, we're looking at a card that makes plants, the word roots is the name, it doesn't matter. What it looks for is creatures leaving the graveyard, it doesn't care how. It could be Tormod's crypting your opponent out, which I yeah. believe you mentioned, right? But the opportunity to muck with the graveyard and regenerate things, there is the opportunity for that inside the mansion because this is based on slasher films, it's based on the Amityville horror, which, which. Like, so there's going to be this supernatural and, like, praetor natural kind of stuff going on. The ability to resurrect the dead, effectively, is kind of what I'm dancing around here. And yeah. we could see that play into this set. So you're looking at a year, I think, to also check in specifically around this set just for additional synergies that might exist because it is the clearest call-out for the possibilities of a, of a recently printed set to impact this card. Between... Yeah. Now and then, there's really not the Bloom Barrow and Thunder Junction, and I don't think that's going to do a whole lot for this kind of card. Um, yeah, otherwise, like you mentioned before, you got to look backwards. Yeah, I think this is this is one of those premier uncommons, like you mentioned, that 
happens every now and again in a set. It's nice to identify. It's nice to look at, pull up on. And I don't think there's a reason why you either can or shouldn't go deep on this because there are already immediate synergies where you can just kind of take advantage of what's going on for your own ends. And uh, yeah. the world is your oyster with this card. You just got to figure out what you want to do with it. Writ large within the format, that's probably going to take a push, like you said, content creation or something coming out of one of these additional sets that just sparks joy when you look at this card. And yeah. I think it's definitely a, a good look for tossing it away, like you said, and just keeping an eye on it and making sure, like, hey, what's going on? What are we doing? Where are you? Like, overall, I, I like the card. I like the pick because it represents, you know, something decent in, in a pick. We know there's going to be opportunity here. It's not something you've got to necessarily hope for yeah. when it comes to something uh, released later on. Now, for me, like I said, I'm getting my way back machine, and I'm looking at a card from World Wake, a card that I never understood why uh, there was zero adoption in the Commander format. And it took up until 2021, really, to see a spike. And that is Thada Adele, Acquisitor. Yep. Now, this is a card from World Wake, like I said. And it costs one double blue for a legendary creature, Merfolk Rogue, 2-2. Two -two. It has Island Walk. Whenever Thada Adele, Acquisitor, deals combat damage to a player, search that player's library for an artifact card and exile it. Then that player so shuffles his or her library. Until end of turn, you may play that card. Now, I don't know why this card was really never adopted into the commander format overall. It's kind of mind-boggling how this card has just sat around and done nothing. Uh, yeah. When I added this to my list in December, CK was buying eight at $3. They had zero in stock for eight fifty. There were 35 listings up here better on TCG Player for a market of $9. Now CK, when I was finishing my notes, CK was buying 12 at $11. They had 33 uh, for retail at five fifty, and there were forty one listings on TCG Player at, for a market of thirteen dollars thirty nine. Now we are seeing a little bit of a dip in market, but I think that's going to kind of correct itself. And right now, CK is buying thirty nine copies at six dollars forty. So they basically just got they got their injection as this card was going up in price, because everybody was kind of moving into the spike. But I think we're going to be okay here because. And as I'll touch on later, this card's only been printed once. Yeah. Now. Insane. There's zero reason I can find why this shouldn't have been a zero-day staple within the Commander format. Uh, it makes sense that when people were initially playing Commander, they saw this card, they saw Legendary, and they thought, oh, this has to be the Commander. This couldn't possibly go anywhere else. And I, I'm, that's just straight wrong. You can play blue cards in your blue, blue deck under a different Commander. That's perfectly fine. You want to steal someone's Soul Ring? Thadel's got you. You want to ride with somebody else's top down? Thadel's got you. You want somebody's monocrypt or vault? Thadel's got you. I just don't know why people didn't play this card. It should be in every deck that plays blue. Uh, yeah. Uh, so either this is an optics issue, meaning people had no idea this card existed, or they didn't want to be, and I'm going to put quotes around this word, aggressive about stealing people's monocrypts, their monovaults, their soul rings, their senseis, divining tops, etc. But the format has changed. Sort of feast and fam. Yep. I mean, there's so many good options. Jeweled Lotus. The format has changed. Theft like this is tolerated a bit more as players engage in a more, again, quote-unquote, competitive game and play patterns than they used to, and the format has only gotten more efficient over time. And that all adds up to Thada Adele being more powerful than ever before. This could be your commander. It could be in the 99. 
It costs three mana, one and two blue, and comes with Island Walk. So the most difficult part of utilizing this card is making sure your opponents have islands. Now, this really isn't a great hole hurdle. It's more of a bump, especially with the number of spreading, spreading seas effects. And the Mirrodin gem Quicksilver Fountain connecting with Thada Adele is actually pretty trivial. Like, uh, for those that don't know, Quicksilver Fountain basically puts a counter on a land in every upkeep, and uh, any land with a flood counter on it is an island. And you remove all flood counters when all lands in play are islands. But that's it. So you just slowly take over. There's nothing about this card that says I'm bad in Commander. Like, nothing no, at all. It, it, it should be insane. Yep. I, uh, I brought up the stocks graph earlier, and we did see a spike uh, towards the end of 2001 around call time. And I couldn't really find a reason for that, but the most recent spike from $10 up towards 15 came with Lost Caverns of Ixalan due to an infusion of new Merfolk. Um, and I believe that that spike was untenable. Uh, it was more of a price correction than anything else, as we only see this card rise in value like over time. The market is is bearing an increasing price in this card, though sales velocity on LP and Nearmint are low overall. But this becomes a $16 card fairly quickly within a couple weeks. We just have to wait for that to for all the low-hanging fruit to disappear. So flipping this back into the open market is where we'll make the most profit. You just have to price aggressively if you want to move this quickly. Um, I don't think buy lists on this are going to cool necessarily for a while. They will most likely keep sawtoothing like we've seen. Uh, so if you're going to wait for that out, it'll probably be on the outside of three months, but it's going to be a safe move from your binder in the interim. Now, while we are seeing that kind of downtick on TCG player market from 3.6 or 3.30, whatever it was, down to about 3.10, that has more to do with the fact that prices less shipping are under $13, but prices with shipping are well over $14 and $15. So this is, again, more of an optics issue like we talked about, I think it was two weeks ago, where when you just look at the price, the price point, the data was wrong, but when you considered what's being done to manipulate the price so the vendor gets the, the price there. they want, the data supports the fact yeah, yeah this is a, a car that's rising in price. So buying it now at 13 or $14, again, our out at 16 is coming pretty quickly, like midway through the first page. Like we hit 18, almost $30 before the, actually there's only one page of listings left on TCG Player right now. We have 41 listings uh, 41 listings left. Same amount. Okay, yeah. We just hit like a $30 card before we even get to the bottom. It, like, yeah. And again, the market is burying this. It's just the graphs are only showing the price point sold, not price with shipping, which is where the actual number is. Yeah. Reprint equity on this. Oh boy. Now, this is a named character from Zendikar, a planet we've been back to twice, who has not shown up since the original set. Yep. With no reprint in a number of possible locations, I don't think we'll actually be seeing this again as we have access to a three mana steal your soul ring effect, and that might be a bit too competitive for Watsi's view of the format. You know, they just barely decided to reprint bribery, and that costs a lot more mana. Yeah, and I think that's actually one of the reasons, like, we haven't really had, especially in a standard set, we haven't had a thief effect in a long time. Uh, not from library like this. We had uh, Daring yeah. Skydiver, or Thieving Skydiver, whatever it is from Call of Time. From that, play. That steals from the battlefield. Yeah, yep. great in Vintage Cube, great uh, kind of in yep. BRD, yeah. Like, uh, Dak Faden, another just, whoop, but it's got to be on the from battlefield. From the battlefield. Yeah, uh, I've talked about... 
Praetor's Grasp, demonic tutor your opponent's library, same effect. We Pretty don't, good. yeah, we don't see this happen all the time, and it seems to be too aggressive for Wat, for Watsi's view of like theft. You yeah, know? and thus I really don't think we're going to see a reprint of this. Like I said, bribery, one of the most effective and efficient uh, thieving effects in the format, was just reprinted, and it was done so in the ancillary Ixalan product. Explorers of Ixalan, whatever that weird like pseudo game thing was. Yeah, like that's where we got it. It might have been in a, a master set shortly thereafter as well. That is a permanent theft effect. It costs five. You can literally swing with Thada Adele on three, and steal somebody's soul ring. If you go one, turn one soul ring, island soul ring, turn two, island, uh, turn two boots. You can go turn three, Thada Adele, equip boots, swing, steal your soul ring, play it, or your jeweled lotus, play it for free. Right? Like yeah. This card can just rough shot run over a table and start stealing stuff very quickly and very efficiently. Um, buy quantity on this. I bought my set when the Commander format came into prominence back in 2009, and I've been waiting for people to realize this card was good ever since. Um, I haven't bought any more, and hindsight says I should have, but because it was just a rope for over a decade, like even more Kinda than that. Kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. Even more than that, I just never bothered. I like. I thought, well, this is either really bad for the format, and I don't understand why, or this is really good for the format, and people just don't want to engage in this kind of like dickering. And at the end yeah. of the day, I think people should because it's a really good card. And now that there's kind of this run on it, it has been sitting on buy list for a while. People are realizing how good this is. And if anybody comes through with any kind of commander content with this card, like you can be certain this is going to zero out on TCG player and everything's yep. going to jump. But in the interim, like I said, we got you know a couple of weeks to turn this from a $14 card to a $16 card to an $18 card pretty quickly. The market's going to bear it, and I think this is a perfectly fine card to just go in on and flip immediately. Yeah. So for me, that's my pick in the Wayback Machine today. Dig it. Yep. Anything else before we cut out? No, I think we're good. All right. Um, will you be at Magic Fest Chicago, or will you have been at Magic Fest Chicago for those that will listen to this? No, unfortunately, uh, I have a vacation plan that weekend. All right. But there is the possibility, and we'll have to figure this out later, so we can let people know that we will be at Star City events on the East Coast. Because, yes, as we discussed last week, they're coming to Maryland, D.C., Philly, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Literally everywhere. Yeah, everywhere on the East Coast that they've ever been, aside from Boston. So, yeah. for at MTG Cabalcast this week, uh, I am at Halt, I am Reptar, you are? At Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.